everybody, and welcome to Solid Steps Radio. My name is Chad Russell, and that is Kurt Souder of Further Still Ministries. And this show, Solid Steps Radio, is a show that is for men by men, talking about stuff from a man's perspective. We want to be a tool in the toolbox of men, because guys, we're really good at talking about sports, weather, and politics, which is has its place, and that's okay. But we want to hear on this show be a place to talk about the things that mean well, really have a ripple effect for eternity. And we believe here at Solid Steps that you, as a man or woman, depending on who's listening, that you are not fulfilling your destiny as a man or woman unless you are walking with the person of Jesus Christ and his intentions for your life. Now, today's topic, just warning everybody, is a PG-13 topic, meaning if you have little ears, we're going to be talking about a topic that you may not have already had that conversations with with your children yet. So we're giving you a little fair warning. But when you start talking about places in Scripture where they have lists of like the end times or places of groups where Paul writes about groups of people and the characteristics of a culture that is going absolutely in the opposite direction of God, wicked cultures, one of the reoccurring characteristics is the term sexual immorality. And it's a constant throughout the New Testament, and it's a constant throughout anything describing the end. But what about today? How important is or how influential is sexual immorality in our culture, even as people who follow Jesus? Yeah, it's Chad, it's in the church, it's outside the church, and uh, let me just read just real quickly out of Proverbs chapter 5. This is King Solomon writing. He says, my son, pay attention Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. And so we have our dear friend, uh, Dr. Chuck Tackett. Uh, welcome back to the show. Nice to be back, guys. Uh, you know, Chuck, you are a licensed clinical psychologist, and so we're going to just uh, – y- you've been in practice for how long? 32 years. 32 years. You've been around the block a couple times. I've um, spent five years as a pastor in the distant ancient past. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been dealing with this kind of an issue for 37 years. Yeah, and, and so listeners, um, we, we want this to be a, a, a resource for you personally. And we also want you to be able to pass this on because we, um, the Bible teaches about you know warnings and, uh, but also there's always grace and hope. Mm-hmm. So Chuck, uh, you uh, you you have helped a lot of couples yeah, who have around a little bit over 180 couples where um, sexual affairs have occurred. And so, listeners, we're going to talk about sexual affairs and uh, sexual adultery, and um, what the Bible says about that, and also your, uh, you know, your wisdom and how to, um, how to, how to first of all, how do, how do you stay away from it? And yeah. so, uh, Chuck, you, you wanted to talk uh, this first yeah. segment about married couples and traits of what it looks like. Well, um, and I've kind of gleaned these traits over 32 years as a clinical psychologist and five years as a pastor. And so let me just kind of take you over the traits that I see couples doing that set them up for having an actual sexual affair, where either the husband or the wife will be the one who has the affair. So the first characteristic is they starve their relationship of their thinking and of their emotional connection. 
They just stop growing in their thought life. They just stop growing in their emotional life, and they stop growing in a way where they actually connect with one another relationally. They just don't make the connections that they need to. Plus, they stop growing spiritually. And when you stop growing spiritually, you're just putting a target on your back. You know, you're kind of like that old Far Side cartoon where you see the bear, you see the wife at the entrance to the cave, you see the bear walking back to the home, and he's got a target on his back. He's got a clip in his ear where he's been, and he's got the, the anesthetizing needle in his back still. You know, you're, you're just painting a target on yourself when you don't grow spiritually. You will be attacked without a doubt. Chuck, so that's the second characteristic. So, so Chuck, real quickly, um, because I think most people live in denial about that, mm-hmm. actually. That, you know, yeah. They don't wake up in the morning and go, you know, I'm going to purposefully, intentionally not grow spiritually, and I am not going to emotionally connect with my spouse. Mm-hmm. What, what are uh, um, a couple signs that that is happening and they don't even know it's happening? Well, one of the things we talked about in the past was um, what I call the entrance and exit rituals. You know, and so every single morning before you part from one another, you need to you need to give each other a hug and a kiss. You need to say, "Baby, I'm going to be thinking about you today." And, honey, can I pray for you about anything today? And what's your day going to be like? And take just a minute there, and exchange a kiss, exchange a hug, and be involved in one's each other's life before you ever walk out the door. Mm-hmm. And a lot of couples don't simply do that; they just part ways. It's just like, okay. One, one, you know, husband or the wife's going to take the kids to, to school and then, you know, go to their jobs and all that stuff. And you end up with all kinds of trouble. Wow. You spiritually grow apart. The second characteristic is they starve one another sexually. They do not have a growing, important physical relationship. Now, about 25 years ago, there was a great randomly sampled survey of sexual behavior in America done by the University of Chicago. Not a bastion of conservatism. Let's just simply say that. Okay. <laughs> And what they discovered is there was um, they, what they considered the average range of sexual intimacy in a marital relationship between a husband and a wife was uh, a minimum of once every two weeks to five times in one week. That was considered the average range. And so for most couples, if, a, if they were right in the middle for, for their sexual relationship, one week they'd have sexual intimacy two times. The next week they'd be sexually intimate three times. Okay. That's considered to be the norm, the average. And so if your physical relationship isn't around that, then you need to work on it, guys. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're setting yourself up for... Yeah. Well, you're, you're cheating each other for an opportunity to connect with one another personally in that way. And when you cheat your relationship of an opportunity to connect, you're just opening the door for all kinds of temptations to be present. Okay. So, the, the, so the, the fourth one is they do not practice radical openness, radical honesty, and complete accountability. Mm. They're not radically open with one another. They're not radically honest with one another. And they, they're just simply not accountable. When okay. you talk about radical openness, uh, help yeah. our listeners to uh, unpack that just a bit. Um, one, of, one of the ways I explain it to my clients is I'll say, um, uh, who've had affairs is I'll simply say we need to work on two general areas here. You need to view that what happened here as a train that travels on two railroad tracks. Okay. One is you got to understand why the affair occurred. So the person who had the affair, you've got to understand why that affair occurred. And the second thing you got to understand is what was going on in your relationship that that happened. Okay. 
it happened. And so you've got to come to understand that you weren't really connecting with one another emotionally. You weren't connecting in your thought life. You weren't connecting enough physically. You weren't connecting enough spiritually. You weren't being there for one another. You weren't being radically open about that. Okay? And radical honesty. How is that impacting you? Yeah. And then accountability. Where you go and who you're with. You know? So if you're going to the wrong places, you got a problem. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And then I would say the next one after that is is they starve their relationship of this, of this emotional energy. So one of the things you got to focus on is you got to say, I need to look at this relationship I have with my wife and my spouse in a way that, that I have to see that relationship as being alive, its own being, its own entity. And I have to nourish that relationship and I have to feed that relationship every single day. And what, I, what I've seen in every case where there's been an affair is both of them to some degree or another have starved their relationship of contact with one another. And when you starve your emotional, you starve that relationship, you're cutting off the emotional energy that brings life to your relationship and brings hope to the relationship, you know? And so then the next thing I would say is individually, they allow their emotional life, their, their thinking life, their relational life, their physical life, their spiritual life, they allow it to die. They just allow it to die. And they kind of die inside, Okay. And so instead of looking at Romans 12, 1 through 4, instead of being a living sacrifice, uh, they're a dead sacrifice. And who wants to be around dead? Mm, there's a whole line of business that handles that. <laughs> That's <Okay>. true. <laughs> <laughs> and they, most of the time they handle that exceedingly well. But who wants to try to be connected with someone who's dead inside? And so the person, if right now, if you're, getting, if you're dead inside, you need to find somebody and you need to talk to them about this deadness that's inside of you. You need to find a pastor, you need to find a minister, you need to find an elder and talk to them about this deadness that's inside of you. Okay, two more very quickly. Tell you what, hold yep. that thought because we got, we're gonna, I don't want to be pressed up against the break here. So we're going to come back. We've got three more segments. We're going to talk more about these in detail. So if you heard this first segment and you're like, oh my, I hope you are sitting up in your seat because all of us should be. So we're going to hear more statistics here about what it looks like and how you can recover from there in Europe. So in our last segment, our guest, Dr. Chuck Tackett, was going through four of the 10 warning signs that your marriage is right for an affair. Chuck, could you just quickly review what the folks missed on the first segment, the first four? Okay. They starve their relationship of their thinking and emotional connection, meaning we need to grow in our thought life with one another. We need to grow emotionally with one another. Second was they starve each other spiritually. They're not growing individually spiritually, and they don't grow their relationship in a spiritual way. And many of them don't even have any spiritual conversations with one another at all. They don't even talk about how God might, in fact, be at work in their own lives. And that's a very important topic we've got to talk about. Because it's not just going to church. They might, yeah. even, they might be going to church, but you're not talking okay, about Okay, so it. if I go home tonight and sleep in, the, sleep in the garage in my car, well, no, just because my body's in this locale doesn't mean I'm that. Yeah. Okay, so I, I've got to be alive spiritually. Um, the third was... Uh, physically, they starve one another in their sexual relationship. You've got to be sexually intimate with one another. The fourth was they've got to practice radical openness, radical honesty, and be completely accountable to one another. The fifth one, let's go ahead and quickly note it very quickly, 
is they forget how to emotionally, cognitively, relationally, spiritually, and physically seduce one another. So most men think, okay, if you're talking seduction, that's got to be physical, right? But no, you got to seduce your wife sexually, you know, emotionally. You got to seduce her thinking life. You got to seduce her relationally. You got to even seduce her spiritually. Now that thought freaks a lot of guys out. <laughs> when I hear the word seduce, it has a negative connotation to it in our society, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So let me give you a practical example. Um, how many times have you been in a mall where you've watched a couple walking and you see this drop dead gorgeous woman and she's walking with an average looking guy and she's dressed to the nine. She's dressed fantastically. He's dressed in an average way, you know, and, and she's holding his hand and she's looking at him and she's talking to him and he's smiling to her and he's talking to her. And you just look at that and you say, Mm, he's got to be terribly wealthy, right? That's the only reason she would be with him. Well, no, because when you track them, when you listen to what a little bit of what they're talking about, you see this guy knows how to talk to her in ways that just moves her emotionally, moves her thought life. And if he talks to her about spiritual things, she's moved about those spiritual things. Okay, so he, when he does that, he ends up you know, emotionally, relationally moving her all right, so if he goes to her and he says, honey, would you like to be intimate tonight? What do you think the odds are that she's going to say yes? Mm, I would say the lottery wouldn't work if you went on those odds. I, I think, Chuck, uh, the passage I read earlier, it mm -hmm. was the, the woman, the adulteress, seducing, yeah. but it was, it was her lips. It was her talk. It was her tongue. Yeah. It was the conversation that she was drawing him in. It wasn't that she was drop-dead gorgeous. She probably was that, too. But she was luring him in mm -hmm. through her mouth and the emotional connection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. So let's look at, quickly, let's look at three other ones. Yeah. One is uh, tragically low levels of positivity in your relationship. So remember, guys, from one of the old episodes we did together, um, you have to have a positivity to negativity ratio of 20 positives to every one negative. Okay. And so if your positivity ratio is basically a one-to-one -one ratio or even as low as a five-to-one ratio, five positive to one negative, you're putting your marriage at risk. Can you give me a working definition of a positive? All right. So when I get home tonight, I'll walk in the back door. I'll give Kim a hug. I'll give her a kiss. I'll say, baby, I missed you. Um, I really missed you, honey. Um, I'm looking forward to being with you tonight at church and, and being there with our daughter. Baby, I love you. Can I do anything to help out right now? You just made about five right there, Dave. I was going to ask, what's my, what's my number count at that point? That's around seven, I would say, guys. Okay. <laughs> so the guys are trying to do it's not It's not big, huge things. It's little things you say, little things you do, okay, that draw your wife to you. Okay, once you get married, you got to get great at seduction, Okay. And you've got to learn, you've got to seduce her emotionally, and you got to, the way, one of the key ways of seduction is you got to build high levels of positivity. So another big, huge risk for an affair to happen in your relationship is when that ratio is down close to one-to-one -one, or about an even ratio. Or let's say there's a guy out there who, the other risk is, let's say there's a husband who does 20 positives, but he does 25 negatives, okay? So let's say he gets home and he looks at his wife and he says, you didn't greet me at the door, what's your problem? That's what you're supposed to do, woman. Why don't you do that? And then he goes up and he hugs his wife and he kisses her. <laughs> How receptive do you think she would be 
Chad, uh, uh, Chad no, uh, no, that's the answer. No, <laughs> no, zero, nine, not, not gonna happen. Yeah. So, so it might be that that you have an imbalance. So you might have more. You might do enough positives, but you do way more negatives. That's going to put your marriage at risk. Okay. Uh, one the, quick question, Chuck. Yep. What would happen if a couple would even talk about, hey, these are the positives. Here are the negatives. Um, could we talk about this, honey? Yeah. And um, and just go and have a date and. Yeah. Deposits and withdrawals can be or really. Let, let's do something insane here, okay? Where a husband actually goes to his wife and he says, "Baby, can you talk to me about five to ten things I could do for you that take ten seconds or less that would move you?" Now, what she's probably going to do is she's probably going to faint. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, they both will enjoy you helping her come too. Okay. It's, it's, these aren't real huge, complex things. They're little things that you have to do that generally take five seconds or less, and you have to do them a lot. And you did them before you got married, or she never would have married you. Yeah, I'd say that'd be the case the vast majority of the time. <laughs> you know. And so you know, one of the jokes about marriage is once you get married, you better get great at seduction. Mm-hmm. You just have to. Now, what about the man or the woman who says, yeah, when I try to do the positives, I've been so bad at the negatives. And if I try to do the positives, it's just going to be just whatever. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that person? Uh, figure out what the negatives are and stop them. Yeah. Figure out the things you're doing that are hurting your wife or wife that you're doing that's hurting your husband. And what about stop it? You know, one of the old jokes off of the old Bob Newhart show uh, <laughs> is he would look at, you know, somebody who was doing something that was wrong and he would just say, stop it. Just, you know, so there's actually a meme of him doing that as a, as a clinical psychologist. Stop it. Well, no, I don't need to say that to people, but it's just like, okay, that doesn't work, does it? You need to be really creative and, and, and be intentional about putting positive things. Discover into your- the basics and do the basics well. Mm. That's the big issue. Discover the basics and do the basics well. And if you do that, you're not going to be at a great risk for an affair. But if you don't do these things, I promise you, you're probably at about a 30 to 50% risk of one of you having an affair. That's serious. Uh, very serious. Okay, so Chuck, talk, talk to us about... Um, okay, the, the second area is, um, as a licensed clinical psychologist in my practice, I'm, I'm going to read the research and I'm going to relate the research to what the scripture teaches us. Okay, and I've done that for a long, long time. Okay, so there's a three-step process that Dr. Gottman has researched, and it's it's called atone, attune, attach. And I find that very intriguing. That if you had an affair, you've got to atone for what you did. Okay, and you got to be able to fix what you did. How do you do that, Chuck? Well, uh, there'll be some introductory thoughts in the next segment. Chuck's getting pretty good at this radio thing. <laughs> so, guys, if you have heard, if you don't even hear the next two segments, you've got a lot of good work stuff to do. We all do. We can never hear this too much. I've been hearing some things today. I need to go to my wife and say, honey, I am sorry about blank. I, I just know I need to hearing this. So, so do you. But here's the great news. We're talking about things to be looking for, and we're also going to continue the conversation how we can be preemptive of stopping this process so we're going to take a break come back two more segments to hear the rest of the 10 items that can put you in a position to be right for an affair here on solid steps
first two segments, if you're just joining us, welcome to back to Solid Steps Radio. But the first two segments, we went through the 10 items, 10 things to look for that would make you ripe for having an affair in your marriage, whether it's you or your wife. Now, me being the great listener that I am, I only heard about six of them, so I'm going to have to go back myself and listen to those two segments. But go back and listen to the two segments. Now, we're going to pivot here and talk in these next two segments, third and fourth segment, about what happens if someone has had an affair and how do you recover from that. So, Chuck, mm-hmm. d- just um, unload right now. All right. Go ahead. So, it's a three-step process called atone, attune, and attach. And it's very interesting when you have secular researchers who say, if an affair has happened, you must atone for it. That's biblical. <laughs> yeah, it's a biblical way of thinking about it. So step one in atonement is you stop the affair and you break all contact with the person you had the affair with. Absolute, total break of contact. You just have to do that. So Change your phone number, do everything. Do whatever you've got to do to break off the contact. And maybe one of the radical things is you go ahead and you give your phone to your spouse and you do not delete anything on your phone. Your spouse is the only one, the non-offending party is the only one who can delete anything on your phone. And you give your spouse complete access to your phone. You just have to nowadays. So let me give you some basic introductory remarks. First, first is rebuilding begins when the cheater, with the cheater's continual expression of remorse in the face of the skepticism of the non-offending party. So you're going to be, so the cheater has to say, I'm, I'm remorseful. They have to admit to it. You know, so back in 2000, when I was at Dr. Gottman's research lab uh, at the University of Washington at that time, we're all sitting, we're doing, I'm working with them on their research of their major intervention study to this day, their major intervention study. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I'm working on the computer and I see the husband's or I see the wife's heart rate spike in five seconds. Her heart rate goes from about six beats per five seconds to 10 beats per five seconds. And I just call out to the group in the room with me, she's going to blow. Okay. And she just starts yelling at her husband and starts saying to him, I can't believe you had that affair. Why would you do that to us? Why would you do that to me and and, and our family? Why would you do anything like that? That's insane to do that. The husband's heart rate stayed at five beats per five seconds. He was at his resting heart rate. And he looked at his wife and he said, baby, if you need me to apologize a thousand times for what I did to you and what I did to us and what I did to our family, Baby, I will apologize a thousand times to you. And if you need me to apologize more, honey, I will. He had that remorse he needed to have. Yeah, he had seriously godly he, sorrow. Yeah, he, well, he wasn't a believer. Oh, wow. But he had deep sorrow yeah. for what he had done. It sounded like ownership. I, well, that's part of it. But second is understand that the affair has shattered every part of the marital relationship. It just destroyed the marital relationship. The third thing is understand that in an affair situation, the non-offending party is going to have some PTSD symptoms, some post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. Just expect that that's going to happen. The next thing you got to understand is the wounded partner will only begin to have a new faith in the relationship after multiple proofs of being trustworthy. So if you're the one that cheated, you've got to open your life up completely and allow your spouse to examine every component of your life. You have to. If you want to rebuild trust, and the only way to save the relationship is rebuild trust, you have to be willing to do that. The fifth area is 
Atonement cannot occur if the cheater insists that the victim is partially to blame for the affair. Yeah. You're, you're going, oh, right now here, oh, Kurt. Okay. Oh, <laughs> man. Uh, you, yeah, you, you, that, you're going to blame your spouse. That's a different level. What, that's a different level of stupid. Yeah. That's what I call gloriously stupid. I, 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 I can As hear, if the offending party did not have a chance to actually go to their spouse before the affair even occurred and said, hey, we got problems and say, hey, we got problems in our relationship. All right. And I'm tempted right now to have an affair with this given individual. I'm tempted to do that. I haven't done it yet, but I'm really tempted to do that. So we got to fix what's going on between us. Okay. We have to fix what's going on between us. And so, you know, you can't blame the other because you could say in the beginning, I'm tempted to do this, but I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it, but we got to fix us. So the fact that you didn't do that and you went out and had the affair, it's all on you. Because no one took away from you your freedom or your option to tell the truth before you did anything. So you walk into the middle of it and you assume responsibility for what you chose to do. The next is the cheater must understand the spouse's pain. Mm. You've got to begin, if you did this, you've got to begin to understand your spouse's pain. The next is the cheater must accept responsibility without excuse and not be defensive. I did this to you. I did this to us. And I, I was wrong. There's no way I can say in any form or fashion I was right in what I did here. I was completely wrong. What would happen if he'd say, okay, I was wrong. I told you that last week, and I told you the week before, and the week before that. I said I was sorry. Well, number one, the attitude stinks. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt, I know you've never done that ever. But just, that was great acting, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you got to, number one, you got to fix the attitude. And you got to understand your biblical responsibility if it's the man who had the affair. We're to be tender, cherishing means tender, and we're to be nourishing, which means we're to strengthen her. Well, that doesn't sound like it's cherishing or you know, tender or nourishing at all. Yeah. So it stinks. So don't do that, Kurt. Okay? <laughs> or me. <laughs> Just oh, don't. Do <laughs> <laughs> okay? Uh, at the same time, the victim, the one who had the affair done, can cannot shut the door to forgiveness. You've got to be willing to say, if we can rebuild trust, I will forgive. And then two, two very quick ones here. Number one is atonement is a painful process. Okay, really, this is the last point in this section. Atonement is a painful process. The couple emerges with new understanding, acceptance, and a budding, a beginning forgiveness and hope. But, if, but you got to atone, guys. Hey, talk to, talk to us about how long it takes for when adultery has happened mm -hmm. and there's truly, you know, sorrow and, re, you know, remorse in a biblical context, it's godly sorrow that leads mm -hmm. to repentance. How long does it take for the, 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 the person who was cheated on mm -hmm. to fully trust the person again? Um, most of the time it occurs between 14 and 18 months of hard work to get to that place to really begin to trust. And when you say hard work, what do you mean by that? For the one who had the affair, know why you did what you did. How can you prevent what you did if you don't know why you did what you did? You can't. So you got to know why you did what you did. And you both have to honestly talk about your relationship. Because let's, let's just be very open here. If you had a great relationship, there wouldn't have been an affair. If you deeply knew one another, 
there wouldn't have been an affair. Now, at the same time, the one who had the affair never lost an opportunity to come to the spouse before the affair actually occurred and actually say, hey, I'm tempted to do this. I don't want to do this. And because you didn't do that and you had the affair, the affair is your fault solely. Because you always had the option to go to your spouse and say, hey, this marriage stinks for me. So let's make it good for me and let's make it good for you. And because you didn't do that, you went out and had the affair, that's on you. And, and, and how many times could we have avoided this going down this road if we'd have just gotten some help? Uh, infinity. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not even help, just raising your hand and going, things aren't going good. We, we, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing unbiblical about talking about a temptation because you didn't do it. So if the temptation is there, talk openly about the temptation. That's a part of the vulnerability and, yeah, and the communication. Yeah, yeah, you got to. You got to. So we're going to take a break, come back for one fourth and final segment to talk more about what you can do to recover from having an affair here on Solid Steps Radio. So if you're just tuning in, the first three segments, the first two segments of today's show, we talked about the 10 signs to show you could be right for having an affair in your marriage or an affair happening in your marriage. Go back and listen to those. The last segment and the end of this segment here, we're going to talk about, we've been talking about how to atone after the affair has happened, what does it look like for recovery? And next week's show is going to be about the On, ongoing recovery, ongoing right? recovery. But we need to finish this last segment with what atonement looks like. So, yeah. So what, Chuck, you mentioned several pieces mm-hmm. to this atonement. Mm-hmm. And we want to zero in on confession. Right. So when we think about confession is we need to thoroughly air the wrong. We need to thoroughly air the affair, the misdeeds that occurred in the affair. Uh, Because trust can't start if you don't talk about it. Okay. You have to be, you have to talk about it. So, so point two is you got to be radically open, radically honest, and, and completely openly talk about the affair. Now, do you, do, is it is it wise to share all the details, or whatever the the other the, the offended what, whatever um, the non-offending partner once shared? Okay, you share. And if he or she wants more details, then you give the details. You know, it's it's kind of like what President Reagan did in the eighties, which was trust but verify with the Russians, with the Soviets. Okay. How can you build trust if you're not completely open with one another? You have to be completely open. So that means cell phones, text, emails, any other way that you communicate. So if you communicate with this individual through an app, your spouse has to have access to all of that stuff and has to have the freedom to read all of that stuff that he or she might want to read. Okay? The next point is the offender must be willing to say why they had an affair with the person they had the affair with in life? Why was it this person that you had the affair with? What was it about that person that, that drew you in to have the affair with? Because how can you prevent it in the future if you don't know why you got into it in the first place? Okay, so you got to deal with questions like why the affair happened? Why did the affair continue if it continued? Um, how was it carried out? What did you do? Where did you go? Okay. Um, 
where and when did the liaisons, the sexual liaisons, actually take place? Got to be open about that kind of stuff, okay? And you, and, and you have to understand that full disclosure will lead to a lot of pain, but the pain's necessary. You know, that would be like, okay, uh, you're going in to see your oncologist, a cancer doc, and the cancer doc says, I'm going to do surgery. I think I'll be able to get out the entire tumor. And the doc gets in there and he says, well, I decided that I would just take out half the cancer. No, you're going to be irate, and then you're going to find a great attorney. Okay? You have to be able to cleanse it out. It's just necessary to cleanse out the whole thing. So full disclosure, it's necessary, even though it's painful. Next point is... No, what, what happens, Chuck, real quickly, if the spouse um, can't take that? Well, it's not like you're going to sit down and have all that information shared in one session. Th- this it's probably is, going to be shared over a series of weeks. And, 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 and this is done with help. Well, it's done with someone like me, like a licensed clinical psychologist who understands these, these principles, reads the research, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but if you, if you do that, it's going to take a series of weeks to really cover all of what occurred. Probably, seriously, months, really. Well, weeks to go over what actually occurred. And, and then a few months to recover from it, okay? So the, so the next thing is, if the victim, okay, if the person who had the affair done to them wants to know everything, then it's their call, not the offender's call. So, so the victim, the one who got cheated upon, has to make the call, what they want to know and what they don't want to know, and then the offender has to be open about those kinds of things. So the next one is, the only thing that is not stated is the actual sexual activity that occurred. Okay, You don't talk about what, what actually sexually you did. You don't need to talk about that. We all know what sex is. We all know what likely happens. And so we don't need to go into all of those refined details. But, and for a simple reason, this would cause even more PTSD symptoms for the victim. Okay. And we don't want to enhance their, their pain uh, above a certain level. Okay. So, so very quickly, guys, some very, uh, very quick other things I want to state. Number one, to change, there has to be transparency. You've got to be fully open about the past. You've got to be fully open about what's going on in the present. You've got to give evidence that you're being faithful now. And so full accountability, so radical openness, radical honesty, full, complete accountability lets the person know that, you're, that you can give them evidence that you're being truthful about what you're saying. Because if you hide... Can't hide anything. There can be anything hidden. Can't hide. If you hide, you've just broke the trust all over again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's in essence, that's the fact, okay? So the next is, the offender must be willing to have his or her life checked up on. So what I commonly tell people is take your cell phone, leave it out, and make sure your spouse has, has the opportunity to, you know, knows your code to get into your phone and can get into your phone, okay? Now, if you have the kind of a job where you have sometimes confidential information on it, all right, then you need to sit down with your spouse and you need to go over the sections that your spouse can go over and, and learn to be fully accountable. You know, you just have to be, okay? The last couple of things very quickly here is uh, no more late-night work stuff. Just get rid of the late-night work stuff. If you got to, bring work home, okay? If there's stuff you got to get done, bring that work home. And all friendships that were related to the affair person, you got to end those two. Not only stop talking, break contact with the affair person, you got to end all of those friendships with the person that was associated with you while you were having the affair. 
because they're just going to invite you to go off the deep end again. That's yeah, that's wise. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools mm-hmm. suffers harm. Chuck, thank you yep. so much for sharing. We're going to we're going to continue this on part 2, but I'm going to have you close out in prayer mm-hmm. right now. Would you do that, please? I would love to. Thank you, guys. Lord, thank you for the privilege of uh, talking about this very, very difficult topic of sexual affairs. Lord, please help couples understand the repairs can happen. Please help them hear and understand your quiet voice as you speak to them about what is really going on in their marriage and about why the affair occurred. Lord, you have the power to bring couples back together. And if we're willing to listen to you, Lord, and we get good counsel, there is every opportunity in the world to actually save the relationship. So, Lord, thank you for this privilege. It's in your name. I pray, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Chuck. Appreciate it greatly. Thanks, guys. So, we've heard a lot today, and uh, you may have just caught the tail end of this, and you may have listened to every second of it. So, what I heard is this, is I got work to do, and if you heard this and says, I don't have any work to do, you probably have work to do in your humility and your sobriety because you don't you don't hear yourself very well. Yeah, because uh, yeah, because uh, Chad, as as Chuck's talking, I'm like going, oh my goodness, I need to, I I gotta I gotta step it up, step my game up here. So here's the really good news about this: if you are in preemptive mode and you are not having an affair or in that place, man, you just got some great tools to help you stay on that path. If you have gotten off the path or you're messy right now and you go, whoa, you might have just woken up and say, I got to get back on the right path. And you may be in a full-fledged affair right now. You are going to be found out one way or another. Your sin will find you out. So I would just say to you, repent. Today's the day to do that. And there's hope. If Jesus walked out of that grave, your marriage can be saved. That's a fact. Thank you for listening to Solid Steps Radio.